This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to the latest Ask Wrexham podcast. I'm Mark Griffiths from Wrexham AFC and the hashtag AskWrexham, A-S-K-W-X-M, is your best way to get in touch with us to ask questions. An idea that's, that's taken off so well that we don't just use it on match days anymore to chat to us during the commentary. We also now produce this podcast, which we're using in order to answer the questions we don't get around to. And also, of course, to give maybe a, another go at answering some of the other questions. I'm buffering, sorry. Shouldn't do this post-dinner. Um, I, you know, answer some of the questions that... We didn't. We maybe thought deserved a second airing. Unfortunate phrase after I just burped live on a podcast. But anyway, let's crack on. But before we do, because I never say let's crack on without then stopping myself, um, we'll do an extra Ask Wexham podcast after the World Cup's finished. So any questions specifically about the World Cup, we'd be delighted to receive an answer. So please get those in. Use the hashtag. Ask Wrexham on Twitter, A-S-K-W-X-M. You know how it works. Right, first subject, new signing, Andy Cannon. Josh Lafferty asks, how big is the Andy Cannon signing? Uh, Jared says, how long do we have to wait till Cannon can join the active roster? Chris Michener, we just signed Andy Cannon. What position does he play? And is he as good as people say? And also Michelle Olsen asking, what are our thoughts on the new signing of Andy Cannon? Right, let's try and go through those questions. Um, he'll be available for the Scunthorpe game. The only problem with Scunthorpe, I thought the pitch is okay. It's still cold here in Wrexham on Thursday night, but hopefully, and you know, if it's possible, it'll get played. <clears throat> so he'll be available. He wasn't available last Saturday because we only signed him on the Friday morning, but he now will have had a chance to integrate into the squad, weather permitting. So he's he'll be available, definitely. How good is he? Well, on paper, he's a superb signing. I mean, he's a player who has come down from the championship, so the second level. Uh, that's impressive. He hasn't played a lot of football there, but he's played a bit for Hull City. We're a big club. We're often in the Premier League. And he also came on loan to Stockport County. In fact, his first start of, of a loan last season for Stockport was the FA Trophy semi-final at the racecourse, which he was... Very impressive, and he really moved the ball around well. He looked in control in the middle of the pitch, and they took him off after an hour, and then we took control of the game and beat them. That was the game of Paul Mullins' two spectacular goals, of course. He's, on paper, an excellent signing. He looks like a good all-round midfielder who can do a lot of things. We already have a lot of quality in that part of the pitch, but I think it's good to have strength and depth, and especially with Jordan Davis getting injured. You know, it just stretches us a tiny bit, and... You know, Parkinson has made sure that he, he reinforces with real quality now. Remember that issue last season, maybe, of the squad having a couple of injuries and then maybe there were players on the bench who weren't going to really change things that much. Well, now he's got real squad depth. So so Cannon is a, a very exciting signing, a, a quality player, central midfielder, but one who I think can do a, a sort of deeper role passing the ball from deep or play higher up the pitch and pass accurately and be a bit of a goal threat, both going into the box to try and get the end of things, or uh, shooting from outside the box. So he looks like a very good signing. On paper, a fabulous signing, to be honest. Um, now then, next subject. Uh, oh, now I'm going to have to fob you off here. 
It's Ron Wilkerson. Can you explain the significance of Wrexham becoming a city? What was it before, a town? And, well, I mean, yes, you're right. It was a town before. Now it's a city. Wrexham, it's, I think it's symbolic more than anything else. We had an excellent response to this. Um, oh, I should have put it. I should have put it on the screen. Sorry, I'm um, talking about how being incorporated as a city in the states uh, is a formal thing, which means you take control of your own emergency services, for example. Not here. It's much more of a symbolic thing. I think if you're crafty, you can use it as a good marketing tool to increase the the image of the town. Although I, I have to emphasise, I've said this before. The massive, massive thing which has changed the profile of Wrexham as a town or a city is Robin Ryan. We we are now known around the world, but we are also in Britain. There's a buzz about us as well. People are aware of us much, much more than they were before, I would say. Um, you might argue that's always been the case, that the football club has been the thing that puts Wrexham on the map. And we've had giant killing results, and we've had plenty of them. That is part of our heritage, really, part of our DNA. We're a team that turns up and gives big teams a bloody nose. Um, that definitely has aided people knowing the club. When Wrexham beat Arsenal, I was a trainee teacher in Liverpool. And, oh, the kids wanted to know me the next Monday. I tell you that. Oh, they were so excited. Um, ironically, Arsenal played Liverpool the next Wednesday. And on the cop were all singing Wrexham. And apparently were selling, they were selling Wrexham shirts to taunt the Arsenal fans with. All these little kids. I mean, I know they didn't meet it. They'd never follow through. But they were all, hey, say, say, get us a West Ham ticket. You know, for the, the next round. They, they reckoned, oh, they'd all turn up and they'd all go to the game. And they wouldn't. But that level of excitement, you know, Wrexham was a thing. Nobody was interested in me being a Wrexham fan before that. And yet once we beat Arsenal. So, yeah, it, it's football is something that raises the profile of the town. It doesn't mean that, that much, I don't think, in any serious sense. Um, in all honesty, as I, I mean, it always used to be the, the sort of in the gift of the... East. It, traditionally, no, let me go back a bit. Traditionally, it was a city, was a cathedral... A town uh, was a. Uh, I'll try it in English. A place with the cathedral, which was the centre of a Church of England diocese, so the regional headquarters, if you like, of the Church of England, that place would become automatically a city. That leads to some quite strange discrepancies. So, for example, there's a very small little place, what about half an hour from Wrexham, Saint Asaph. Nice place. It's the but it's the the seat of the Diocese of Wrexham. So, ironically, not Wrexham, which has a massive uh, parish church, but St. Asaph became the city because that was the centre of the diocese. And there's a few other places dotted around Britain which are quite small but have cathedrals of significance and therefore made cities. Now, it's in the gift of the monarch to sort of award more cities and it's often a little bit of a beauty contest. We've applied a couple of times um, it boiled down to us or Brighton. I think it was in the 90s. Brighton won. I mean, obviously Brighton won. I've got to say, Brighton on the south coast of, you know, what, an hour from London? Beautiful place. I mean, fantastic place. Massive place. Place with lots of variety and cultural variety. And, uh, you know, you go there and you think, ooh, how did we think we'd beat them? Uh, then there was an announcement, I think for the millennium, that a Welsh city would be given, well, Welsh town would be given city status. And again, it boiled down to us or Newport in South Wales. 
and Newport got the nod. I'm I was I'm less um at home with that decision, if I'm honest with you. Newport doesn't have a huge amount going for it, if I'm perfectly honest, to d- differentiate it from us. And we in the north of Wales always have a bit of a chip on our shoulder that South Wales tend to get all the benefits, and there you go, Newport became a city. So that didn't impress too much. I've got to be honest, though, and say that on both occasions, those campaigns did seem to get a fair bit of local support. When we campaigned to be a city this time, it didn't seem to get so much local support. Um, And I, I don't know why, and I don't have strong feelings about it personally, either way, really, but it didn't seem to catch on. It became a bit of a political football where some parties didn't support the idea. And we were also bidding at the same time to be a city of culture, which looked to have clear benefits. Uh, we, did, we didn't get to win the city of culture. And it was all a bit of a surprise. The city announcement was supposed to be on a certain date. And about three weeks beforehand, suddenly, oh, Wrexham's a city now. It was released. And nobody seems to know why. Um, I don't know what to, I don't know what to make of it. Certainly, like I said, it wasn't there wasn't a sense of excitement about it. I think there would have been the previous two times when I think maybe people were a bit more enthused about the bid. Whether that's just a sort of FA Trophy final parallel, where oh, if you have a couple of bad experiences, you don't want to invest into it, and so you don't commit to that bid. I don't know, but anyway, with a city, whatever that means. Chip was asking a similar thing, Chip Pate, but also threw in, and I just wanted to address this quickly. I hope long-time Wrexham uh, Welsh supporters don't mind the the announcing crew uh, catching us up. And I, that is something that has exercised me a bit. I'm very conscious that a lot of the stuff we're doing at the moment, we, we I see it, we're kind of, in many ways, first contact for new fans, and I, I want to be able to get the ideas and concepts of the club across. Um, I've got to say, though, that personally, I haven't seen anybody being unhappy that we we do this. I think I think lots of people just say to me when I ask them, what do you think? Should I not be going back to square one sometimes to explain things? I think a lot of people say they enjoy it. They seem to quite like hearing the stories. So so I, I hope so. I've had no negative comments from it. I'd be very interested in, you know, sort of long-standing Wrexham fans saying what they think. But I've got to be honest and say my personal experiences i'm now in touch with a lot more long-standing wrexham fans um a lot of people will will either communicate through ask wrexham or will come up to me at a match a lot more than used to so i think i think it's a good thing all round for everybody i suggest i'd also i mean in, in the old corny thing if somebody you know fair enough a, a fan who's been following for a long time knows the stories doesn't want to hear them again, don't listen to it, which is fair enough. I don't mean that. <laughs> that sounded passive-aggressive, didn't mean it like that. Uh, you know, you don't have to consume everything the club puts out. It should, though, shouldn't you, really? Yeah, too right. I don't remember. Subscribe and review and like and all that stuff as well. Yeah. Drive us up the charts. Um, Danny Bronson says, can I explain the club crest? He did a, a quick Google, and it has a... a tied to the Prince of Wales. I'm curious about it now with the royal visit just happening. Well, yeah. <coughs> now then. In 1973, it was thought that it was the centenary of the club. And so they said they wanted to launch a competition to design a new badge for the club. And what they came up with has morphed into 
the current badge. I'll explain how it's changed slightly in a moment. So the idea is the feathers on the top are the Prince of Wales's feathers. That's the the Prince of Wales's um, crest. It's got three ostrich feathers and Ichtin underneath, which is German for I serve. Um, now, politics and if you're thinking about the royal visit, I'll talk about that in a moment, but I guess you, this will be the starting point of it. Obviously, politically, there will be some people in Wrexham who will not be that bothered about where the royal family comes from and see themselves as British and see themselves as monarchist. There'll be some people in Britain who, who in Wrexham who don't see it that way. Some people who might see themselves as Welsh more than British. This is just a, it's a personal choice, isn't it, to be honest? Um... If you are considering yourself to be Welsh, you might feel, that looking back at history, that Prince of Wales was a title which was imposed on the Welsh to keep an eye on the Welsh, if you will. Um, or you may see it that way, acknowledge that that is the case, but also think, yeah, but that was quite a few hundred years ago, and, you know, is, is that still the case now? Um, the fact that it's got a German motto doesn't look great, does it, really? <laughs> And um, in fact, the, the royal family's roots are in Germany. Maybe also, you know, to, you know that that does lean into that last sort of narrative. Um, so the idea of the badge was it's got the Prince of Wales crest on the top because we are in Wales. I would have to say I would have been a toddler at the time. I don't know if there was any controversy about having the Prince of Wales feathers on it. I do know that people do talk about not having the Prince of Wales feathers on our badge now, but I don't recall that being a big deal for most of the time I followed Wrexham. Um, apparently the green represents the fields around Wrexham. I don't know how, quite how <laughs> sort of a obvious that is. And then underneath, hey, it's two Welsh dragons holding a football. I think that's probably self-explanatory. Now, before that, Wrexham, as I understand it, didn't have a badge at all until the 1960s. And when they did, if you've got the video version of this, until 1973, they had this little beauty, which is the badge of Wrexham Borough, the actual area of Wrexham. So we just had the town's crest on our shirts. Um, <coughs> again, Welsh dragon on the top. The two crooks, the croziers, apparently one of them represents the, again, church. Valley Crucius Abbey is a, an ancient ruined abbey in Flangochlan, and we are part of its diocese in some sense. I don't know, and that apparently one represents that, and the other one apparently represents the, the, the grazing land around Wrexham, Wrexham in a rural area. Wrexham, essentially a market town at first, where farmers would come and trade, uh, there's an area of town called the Beast Market, and when I was a kid, I remember there was a really big building where Mecca Bingo is now, which was the Animal Auction House. And my dad took me there once when I was a little kid, and it was exactly as the cliche would suggest: a little ring in the middle with metal fences round it, and then animals would be brought in, and there'd be an auctioneer going and then mysteriously people would rub their noses or touch their hat and then he'd take a bid from then and it was all bewildering and remarkable and rather good fun um <coughs> so 
that's supposed to be apparently representing the arable land around. So that was the badge, but it was the town badge. There have been other iterations. For our 150th anniversary in 2014, we had a special kit which was red and white, black hoops and vert horizontal stripes, if you will. And we, we had a special sort of badge commissioned, which essentially is the same badge, but with the gold on it and with 150 years plonked at the bottom of it. Um, now, the thing is, I said I refer back to why it was 1973. And if you do your maths, 1973 plus 50 does not equal 2014. And it's because there was further research that found that the club was founded in 1864. So until that was found, the badge was the same as it is now, but with 1873 on it. Uh, something which uh, still sort of irks us in a way, because you go and look on the internet and you'll find loads of the old badge and lots of organizations or football clubs when they print programs or do social media and they're playing against us might use the old badge which sort of winds people up a little bit i can see both sides of it our badge is not a badge with 1873 on it so you are incorrect if you don't use that but on the other hand you know if i was to copy scunthorpe's badge would i be looking that closely to make sure all the writing is exactly spot on i don't know so i'm not sure we should get too head up about it but yeah that's a bit potted history of the badge anyway pamela rwk next says how do wrexham local folk feel about um charles and camilla showing up at the race course this american doesn't understand the monarchy why does cymru welcome them well I, I, yeah probably if you use cymru rather than wales probably that section of society wouldn't be so impressed i've got to say though in a way that the status of the royal family fascinates and bewilders me um but it does divide people it does go up and down quite a lot after the death of princess diana i genuinely felt there could have been a revolt against the royal family i think a lot of people feel that um anger really started to build up and you may have if you've seen the film is it called the queen is it under helen mirren as the queen and the welsh actor michael sheen who's been uh, motivating the wales team for the world cup as tony blair the prime minister um what happens in that film is seen as broadly right that blair as a new prime minister has to summon up his courage and intervene and tell the queen you've got to start looking compassionate about this because people are getting angry because at first there were things like the royal family refused to fly the, the Union Jack at Birmingham Palace at half-mast. So at that point, you felt you could have been on the verge of people saying, we're not sure we want a royal family anymore. Um, last few years, things seemed to be, they seemed to be a lot more popular. Um, and it's quite interesting over here seeing the reaction to the Harry and Meghan and Netflix show and how some parts of the media are really rallying to attack them. Uh, whereas others are putting it more just as reporting it and seeing it as an embarrassment for the royal family. But they, their support seems pretty solid. And there's plenty of... I mean, I suppose this is life, isn't it? There's plenty of people who are very motivated by issues. There's lots of apolitical people out there who just want to get on with their lives. And those people generally accept the status quo and are quite happy about a royal family. I think if you polled in Britain now, there wouldn't be any appetite to not have a royal family. And if you polled in Wrexham, I, I bet more people would say, yeah, we're all right with them than, than you might expect. Um, I suspect that anyway, without any stats to back me up. So, yeah, some people didn't like it. 
some people liked it a lot. Ultimately, um, I think it would be for my view on this. I got to say, not everyone agrees with me. And I, when I've said this, people have said, "No, no, I'm, I'm wrong." So and I'm, I'm willing. I might well be wrong. I, I can't help feeling that um, it would really be quite a sort of political statement if we turned down a visit, perhaps. Um, and it clearly benefits the club in the sense of giving us more global profile to have Rob Ryan. The king, the queen consort there. So from that respect, I would say a bit of a no-brainer. You don't tend to get politically aligned clubs in Britain much, really. Um, so I, I don't know if uh, you could really justify saying no if you were asked. You know, can the king come and have a, a nose around the changing rooms? That came out wrong. Um, Will Sudworth also said, how did the royal visit alter Wrexham's travel and prep? Because remember, we went to Eastleigh. We're playing loosely the next day. Um, and was I there for the visit? No, because I don't feel that I should overshadow the king. You know, fair play. Got to give the lad a chance. Um, don't think it affected things at all. The, the normal routine I'd have thought would have been for Eastley to go down on a coach on Friday afternoon. So I don't think that would have affected things much. They may have had a training session on Friday morning, but probably a fairly light session the day before a game. Uh, so I don't think it would have affected things. And let's be honest, the performance at Eastleigh was certainly by royal appointment. Okay, next up, Jared Phelan. Uh, what's the latest updates about Lainton? I miss seeing him between the sticks. Well, he's fit now. He's been on the bench. He's fit. And, you know, it may well be that the Scunthorpe FA Trophy tie is a chance to give a couple of people a bit of time on the pitch. And it may well be that he plays. We'll have to wait and see, obviously, for that. But yeah, he's fit now. It's just that. Because he had a long-term injury, we needed to bring in a first-choice goalkeeper. We brought in Howard. Howard's not done anything wrong. And the nature of goalkeeping is, if you're doing fine, generally you're allowed to stay and keep your place. So, Lainton will have to wait for his opportunity, possibly. But he may be given a chance to impress against Scunthorpe. Sometimes teams will have a league goalkeeper and a cup goalkeeper. Now, Howard's been playing in the FA Cup. But if we have a trophy run, it might well be that in order to keep his hand in, Linton will be chosen as our goalkeeper for that. And then he's match fit and ready should he be needed. So he's fit. He's ready to go. It's just that it's, you know, if you're a goalkeeper, you can't. There's only one other person you can replace. It's not like other players you can slot in another part of the pitch. Now then, oh, now this, this was interesting. Oh, a splash of water in my face. One season with Wrexham AFC. Says, sorry, I'm wondering if you're watching. I have to wander off camera to see this properly now. Contrary to the assertions of the goon squad, I'm not quite sure what that was referring to. We likely, our issue is that good as he is, like Ronaldo, he makes our team worse. Some stats for you. When Lee has started the game, Palmer has scored two goals. When Lee has been a sub, Palmer has scored nine. Lee has scored five in total. Some more stats. When Lee has started, we've taken less points overall than we have in those games where he was a sub. We've also scored less goals and conceded more when he started. These are the fine margins, but perhaps the difference between first and second. Bearing in mind these stats, uh, this will be interested on a our take on what the fi uh, figures tell us. Our perception is very much of Palmer's peripheral when Lee starts, and overall we're the worse for it. Right now. This is, this is the way I look at it. Lee is an extremely high-quality player, but we struggle to find the right way to use him at first. 
or how to integrate them into the team. We tried changing our shape subtly and it, it just knocked the team off kilter a little bit and he was a player of moments who was having good moments but then was sometimes out of the game and you know, not really affecting it. For me, the turning point, and I think the turning point that will secure the title for us, was at Boreham Wood. I think there was a doubt beforehand whether Lee could really play that central midfield role that Davis plays and do the the work off the ball when we haven't got the ball that we need. We know he's great when we got the ball, but will he come back? Will he cover? Will he make tackles? Will he work like that? Or is he more of a luxury player? Well, I, I they, we tried him in that position at Boreham Wood, and he was outstanding. And the fact of the matter is he will do all those dirty parts of the job he will work hard off the ball he does go into tackles sometimes maybe dives in a bit too much trying to show his willingness as he showed the Blythe replay when he gave it was it Blythe replay he gave away the free kick they scored from uh, yes it was wasn't it so but but he he is looking to show that willing now I would argue let's take the stats from there um I haven't compared with the stats before but for me to my eye the home forms continue to be perfect, obviously, and the away forms had some good performances in it. There have been a couple of less good performances, Wheelston and York, but in both those games, unlike previous away games where we didn't have complete control, I thought we did have complete control. The York goal was a deflection. Wheelston were never going to score if they played for six days. Um, so although we didn't create well, we were still in control of the games in terms of we didn't look like we were going to lose at all. Uh, whereas previously we looked like we could lose games. I have lost two away games. And from that point when Lee played at Boreham Wood, he started 10 games. We've won seven and drawn three. And I reckon that's a good return. As for Palmer, right now, and I, I accept those are stats and I can't argue against them. I would argue if you're really going to do number crunching, that we need a bigger set of figures you know, to, to make it realistic, a bigger data set. Um, but what I would say, and like I know I'm going from statistical to subjective here, Palmer hasn't played badly in these games. He was terrific in... Whoa, which match was it? I can't remember. Yeah, there was a game where he was outstanding and a few others where he's played well in the recent matches with Lee in there. And I would also argue, just by eye, that players like Lee, Palmer, Mullen, Ford, really enjoy combining with each other. McFadgen, they really enjoy combining. And, and Palmer enjoys having a player who spots his runs and a player who makes runs that he can spot. So I, I think those are really interesting stats. But I think maybe the real discrepancy is how we were doing before we settled on what we have now got, which I think is a title-winning setup which is with Tunnicliffe in on the left side of defence, which gives more stability. You all know I'm not criticising Clueth, but Tunnicliffe is an exceptionally high-quality finished product who doesn't venture forwards as much, and you know, Clueth's only doing what he was told to do. No criticism, I think he's an outstanding prospect. You know that, I say this every week. But Tunnicliffe has given us that, a lot of solidity there. That's allowed us to have Lee in front of him, who has flair and might get caught at the pitch, but actually, to be fair, he does put a good shift in. That balance is what's going to win us the league, I think. So, I, I, interesting stat, interesting take, but I reckon if you take it from that Boreham Wood game, it, it, it works out differently, and that's the point where we worked out how to use Lee correctly. That's my theory, anyway. Hope I'm right. <laughs> uh, Topher said, uh, 
it's about basically it was saying it got it went for a shower at four it came back and it was dark does it get dark in britain at 4 p.m in the winter yes um we have the whole daylight savings time thing and every year we have the same boring debates about whether we should change it or not and we never do but because we move the clocks um in the winter it gets pretty dark by mid-afternoon and yeah can be around this time of the year very dark by around four o'clock so yes it is a bit strange um i believe it's to help farmers because they get an extra hour of daylight in the morning a lot of people say but it's less safe for children leaving school in the afternoons but it, it doesn't seem to be any real sign of changing it so yeah in the winter it does get dark quite early so you're fairly northern aren't we really so that whole you know northern hemisphere slanty bit of the earth going upwards i'm not a geography teacher don't ask me to explain it uh drew godley um quite rightly takes me to task i thought luke young was was suspended with five yellow cards last saturday i started that i did hear other people saying it before i started it oh, i didn't start it in, did i good cool <coughs> i'm off the hook drew i made a mistake and that mistake quite simply is i forgot that the fa cup has a separate discipline system it didn't used to but it does now i totally forgot so yellow cards in the fa cup or one of young's yellows was in the fa cup only count towards the fa cup so he is on four yellows in the league if he gets one more he will be suspended for the next league match for one game if you accumulate a number of cards and you get to five it's a one game suspension um if you get sent off by the way for two yellow cards in a game that's a one game suspension if you're sent off though for violent conduct so a straight red card it's a three game suspension unless it's a professional foul so you stop the goal scoring opportunity because that isn't violent conduct but it is a straight red so you only get the one game ban if that makes sense there's other complicated stuff and that just makes it even more complicated now john Davis. Now then, John, I love this. Um, and I've been mulling over it for about a week. Do any players have a perfect record for their position? So basically, a striker who played one, scored one, etc. Um, I can think of emergency keeper Callum Preston. That's a great call. Keeping a clean sheet in his one appearance in a nil-nil against Hartlepool in a typhoon. That's all I've got. Well, I can throw a goalkeeper in from memory, which would be Clayton Ince, a Trinidadian international that we brought in on trial but we couldn't get him a work permit so we couldn't play him in matches eventually the move fell through because we didn't get him a work permit but he did play one first team game because we were in the welsh premier cup at the time a strange affair and i don't exactly know why but for some reason it was judged as okay in terms of the club it's it's a first team match but for some reason, in terms of the criteria that the Home Office were applying to people getting work permits, it wasn't. So we played him in one game and he kept a clean sheet. Um, so there's another goalkeeper. But in terms of players scoring goals and being perfect, I give you my list of players who only ever scored, played one game for Wrexham, but scored in it. Now there's actually then two. Oh, and okay, warning here. Before 1921, we're in the Football League, records start to get a little less clearer. You know, there are some games with, with gaps in them. So th there may be mistakes in our old history. But I think it's good to present it in terms of what we do know. 
So we had a player called John Hughes, who in the season before we joined the Football League, played one game, scored two goals, never played for us again. And also a player who's only recorded as McDermott. We don't know his first name. It's weird looking at these old match reports, which don't mention players' first names, just their last. And in the 1880s, he did the same. Played one game, scored two goals. Now, the rest of the list are all fairly ancient, except there's one <laughs> that I remember, and that is Tom Craddock, who came to us on loan in the 2006-07 season from Middlesbrough, played really well, he was a striker, scored what I'm pretty sure was the only goal of the game to win a match, but got injured and couldn't play again. So, yeah, Craddock's uh, the one within living memory in terms of one game, one goal. Of course, the Welsh international Joe Allen came close to that because he played one game and scored and was absolutely outstanding. This is when Dean Saunders manager a 2008-9, and oh, you just thought, with this lad, we're going to be promoted. This is our first season in the National League. We're going straight back up, because he was clearly head and shoulders above the rest. And like I said, he's gone on to become a mainstay of the most successful, sustained successful Welsh team of all time. Um, but in the second game at Mansfield, a tough game, we were winning at half-time, and again he was head and shoulders above everybody else, but he picked up a knock, went off at half-time, and it turned out it was more serious than we thought, and we had to terminate the loan and send him back to Swansea. We still won the game, but we had to no, say, the loan was terminated, he never played for us again. So one and a half games, one goal, and head and shoulders above everybody else in the league in those one and a half games, that's a pretty good Wrexham career as well, I'd argue. And what a shame that we didn't get the full benefit of Joe Allen, because I think a full season of him, yeah, I think we've only been in a National League for just one game. One season, rather. Mind you, all these what-if moments, if we'd gone back up, would Rob and Ryan, when they started looking for a club, have looked, even looked at us if we were achieving what we ought to be achieving? I reckon maybe not. Maybe Joe Allen's injury led to Rob and Ryan coming here. That's a bit of a leap, in it? Right. Now, uh, Jim says, how often over the next three months will games get postponed for a frozen pitch on average? Yeah, on average is the fair point, because pff, you never know. I mean, when the weather is incredibly variable in Britain, I was told, I don't know if it's true, I don't believe weather forecasts, but I was told they're expecting a warm spell next week. This cold snap is probably about as cold as it gets, I would say, to be honest. It's minus seven, minus eight-ish people are, are talking about in some parts around Wrexham. Um, so I would say on average two, three, four games a winter. But if you get a really bad one, you could have a run of games being called off. And if you have a mild one, you could have barely anything being called off. Um, sometimes you get clubs who don't look after their pitch very well. Braintree was a classic example. The moment a drop of rain, they called the game off. Um, they're not in our league at the moment. They're in the league below. And actually, they got... I, I must be honest, I didn't like this. They got like a quarter of a million um, grant from the FA to, to totally redo their pitch. And I couldn't help thinking, I mean, okay, you want to help them out, but that's a quarter of a million that they can now spend on players, isn't it? Oh, that's me being bad-minded. Um, <coughs> but, uh, yeah... It can vary, but yeah, it can easily two, three, four times a season. Maybe two's a bit of an underestimate. But again, in a mild winter, 
you can go all the way through without having a game off or hardly any games off. Snow could be an issue as well. Frost is the really bad one. No, you can't do anything about the frost, really. I mean, we got all the covers on. We had them on for days before last uh, Tuesday didn't help. So, yeah, uh, that's life, I guess. Um, oh, I can never, I always get, this is a tongue twister always. Beer, bear, beer. Um, why isn't it three up, three down for promotion and relegation? Topher chips in as well for this. Well, this is football politics. The traditional setup was top division, second division, third division, fourth division. They were all in the Football League. The Premier League broke away, but they, essentially it kind of stayed the same. This pyramid structure. And that was that. Um, that was professional football. That's why the level we're at, the level below, it's called non-league. Um, because for, for most of football history, league was the thing to be in, the Football League. Um, generally, between those divisions, in, in, in my lifetime, it tends to be either three up, three down, or four up, four down amongst the football league teams not always um in fact one of the reasons why wrexham has only been in the second level once is because for a good chunk of time in the football league only the top team went up uh, from the third division to the second and wrexham would challenge for the title but if you didn't win the title there were no playoffs you just didn't go up now the thing is that teams could drop out of the football league into non-league but they had to be voted out by the other teams in the Football League. So at the end of every season, the bottom four teams in Division 4 would have to apply for re-election. And all the teams in the Football League, which then would be everyone from Liverpool, Man United, down to the bottom of the fourth division, would all vote. Um, and they'd always, almost always keep their mates in you know why would you vote to remove your friends when there's no need to so almost always those those clubs survived Wrexham finished bottom once under that system in 1966 and, and there's no real huge danger we get kicked out promotion relegation was introduced in the late 80s but only one up one down that was then expanded to two up two down so a title winner and a playoff winner the trouble is, of course, that it's the football league clubs that will vote for this. And the, quite honestly, the simple reason why there's not three up, three down, which would be much fairer and would be much less of a bottleneck, because quite consistently, I would say now, the top end of the National League is better than the bottom end of League Two, because they don't, you don't get to flush all the bad teams out and you don't get all the good teams to go up. Um, it's because the football league, you know, turkeys don't vote for Christmas. All the big clubs aren't going to vote to condemn small clubs to relegation and all the smaller clubs are thinking you know if you have an extra relegation spot we could be going down next season so they just don't tend to vote so premier league's teams don't vote on this anymore it's now 72 clubs uh, championship league one league two the second third and fourth tiers so yeah basically we'll only get equitable promotion relegation if the football league clubs vote for it themselves and that's Perhaps self-interest suggests you shouldn't vote for it. There's, there's a lot of talk about reform and an independent football regulator. And I actually had a question on the Price of Football podcast with Kieran Quinn, who's an excellent uh, 
sort of resource that web that podcast he talks about the finances of the game and the politics and administration of the game as to whether an independent soccer regulator might be able to have the powers to step in and say <coughs> clearly non-league football is no longer non-league football it's it's of a similar standard most teams in Wrexham's league now are professional that wasn't the case at this level in the 80s um or 90s for a lot of the time and you know, would an independent regulator be able to say this is wrong? I'm changing the the system. And Kieran's answer was no. <laughs> that wouldn't be a power that's granted. The football league has that power within its gift. So, I personally would argue that if we were in the football league, I'd vote four, three up, three down, because it it increases the chance of getting back up again. And and I think that would make things healthy. So I think it'd actually be healthier for the football league if some teams suffer, go down, rebuild and come back up again. A lot of teams have come up out of the National League and gone up the divisions. Look at Luton Town, for example. However, um, I can see why that idea would be a minority idea, to be fair. So Darren's happy place... It looks like both Notts County and Wrexham are on pace for 100 plus points this season, which is unprecedented. Um, granted, both are quality, but this also says something about the rest of the teams. Do you feel there's less league parity this year? I don't know, actually. No, I, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, some teams down near the bottom of the table have put good scraps up. I feel the quality going down the table is decent i mean dorking look like a half decent side but you know maybe reality's caught up with them a bit and they're quite low down now some teams have been quite low down have given us some pretty tough games but i would ask underneath wrexham chesterfield Notts county is the quality of those playoffy sort of sides as good as usual I, I, i'm not so sure it is that would be my take on it but <clears throat> Let's be honest, I'm only getting to see one team a, a week playing against us, so I don't maybe see the vagaries of their form. But I, I think the bottom end's not too bad, but that maybe the middle is not quite as as threatening as it has been in the past. Roy Cuffin. Ah, oh, yes, so some important shout-outs here. Uh, Roy basically says, can we give a huge shout-out and thank you to Alan Jones and all the Wrexham fans who donated to the Babs Mill tragedy. Go fund me. Um, absolutely, Roy, it's our pleasure to do that. And, yeah, it's it's always good to see that we've got a community that will rally round when support is needed. Also, Tofa, <laughs> I love this, said, I'll be driving my wife to her sister's house during a match next Saturday against Scunthorpe. Could you please give a shout-out of love and thanks to, <laughs> to Misty from Topher for her allowing me to listen to the game in the car on the way? Oh, yes, and we'll be emphasising this in the commentary as well. Misty, you're a wonderful woman. And Topher, you know, he's a good man. I know this. He deserves this opportunity to hear Wrexham. It's, it's, it's an addiction. It's, you can't help it, but it's a healthy addiction. And it speaks volumes of you as a person to allow him to listen to the broadcast. Well done. We're proud of you. You're helping humanity one person at a time. I said humanity, not huge manatees. Although I have been mistaken for one once on a beach. <sighs> and Wrexham Till I Die said, can you give a shout out to Kev and Tommy and Elliot who made the trip down to Eastley in the snow and can I just say how lucky Wrexham are to have supporters like that. What a horrible day it was last Saturday. But the game was on and we still had 700. So those guys and all the others who made that long trek 
well done because that's not an easy thing to do is it it's not an easy thing to do um pamela rwk we've seen some big league signings on the wrexham squad how's this affecting team spirit how does this impact the players we fell in love with on wrexham uh, welcome to wrexham wow well i'd say two parts to that question team spirit seems terrific and i get the impression parkinson is a manager who puts a premium on keeping players happy and motivated so certainly team spirit seems very very positive and that implies that parkinson communicates well with them what his plans are and what role they're playing in the squad sorry as for the repercussions for the players you've been doing welcome to Wrexham. well yeah i mean that's a fair comment i mean of course leinton and dibble were stars in that but they've both been injured all season as we mentioned before leinton is now uh available again generally uh, the spine has remained pretty much the same you know the likes of hayden and toza and luke young generally the same but uh yeah i mean this is an inevitable fact that some players will you know fall by the wayside with every football team and when a team progresses that that's bound to happen maybe a little bit more so we have seen good lads like uh, dan jarvis uh, cameron green and jordan ponticelli and people like that move on haven't we since uh, welcome to wrexham <clears throat> that that is an inevitable part of football minds and, and i think footballers do appreciate that at this level as well it's quite unusual to be doing what wrexham are doing giving long-term contracts out so lots of players are living from year to year and hoping for a renewal and that is it's unfortunate for them and it's, it's not easy but it is the nature of the game and players know that yeah. um oh streaming Dave Chilcott says the National League told the teams how they'll be reporting subscriptions. Selfish reasons as a Wrexham fan, but I'd also like to see which teams have non-local followings and which teams might um, expand their marketing with this new revenue source. Dave, I don't think they will at all. Um, I, I assume they've got to give us some sort of rudimentary figures for ourselves, but I suspect that'll just be given directly to clubs, if at all. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? no question we've got the widest reach because of what's happened to the club over the last two years by a massive distance uh, in the national league you know traditionally Notts county chesterfield are sides of a similar size to us i'd say Notts county is slightly bigger they've been in the top division they, they, they come from nottingham which is a, a major city there are two teams in nottingham and i admit nottingham forest is traditionally the, the bigger of the two but Notts county are, are a, a very very historic uh, and very storied team if you like so they would have the potential to build up like that there's not that many other really big clubs at our level at the moment Grimsby's the same size as us but they went up and Stockport uh, York I suppose you would say maybe are as well but beyond them I'm just trying to think have I missed somebody out I don't think I have oh, oh the relegated teams Oldham in particular Oldham have been Oldham the first team to have played in the Premier League, which started in 1992, and then dropped down to our level. Um, it wasn't usual when they got to the Premier League, but they did do well when they got there. They were sort of plucky and underdogs. And um, Scunthorpe, have sort of like, they only came in the Football League in the 50s, but since then have been a competitive team. So, yeah, but they're obviously got, both clubs have issues off the pitch they need to rectify before they can really take advantage of that level of support. Timothy? It says the National League finally has its streaming service up and running. 
So this morning we were watching Wrexham and listening to us guys across the pond. Is there also a streaming service in League 2 for when we're promoted? Yes, and weirdly enough, you've already registered for it. <coughs> a Wrexham player is part of the Football League's platform. But because we're not in the Football League, we don't need to access certain parts of it. But there is a streaming platform which will, if we go up, be automatically integrated into Wrexham Player. We'll obviously no longer be a part of the National League streaming service, but we'll be part of the, the Football League streaming service, which has been going for a few years now. So yes, there, there will be streaming from now on. Uh, Grumpy Sports Fan says, um, what do you think about the new streaming service? Will it affect away support in these catch trap days? I mean, what a sensible question. A funny thing, it won't. I, I think I'd have been maybe worried about the effect on home attendance as if we weren't absolutely packing out the race course, you know. Before the takeover, I might wonder about whether people might say, oh, I'll just stay at home and watch the game. I think the away fans, I don't know. I'm gonna, I, I hope I'm right. I think they're a hardy bunch who are loving it. And as long as we keep this momentum going, I think that the, that the whole experience of the day out with your mates... Um, is is what they go for as much as the match and so I think it won't hit us it could hit other clubs I I totally get that I think you're right but I think we I hope it'll be such a great experience traveling and watching Wrexham in away games that little that being in that smaller part of the ground but actually still could be nearly half the ground in some of these that non-league games it gives you a sense of camaraderie as well near way end. So I I hope it doesn't affect it. And I have a funny feeling it won't. I remember the first promotion season I ever saw Wrexham have was 1993. And I just coming back from away wins in a big convoy of cars of Wrexham flags hanging out the sides was brilliant. And that was when they started singing that song that they still sing, the E-I-E-I-E-I-O, up the football league we go. And that became like a theme tune of that season. And all those little things stick in my head and these little experiences. Yeah, coming back from Chesterfield was particularly memorable. We won it at Easter, 3-1 at Chesterfield. The Chesterfield were a decent team, but we were brilliant. And coming back from Chesterfield, it's a really scenic drive. You go through a national park, the Peak District. So all these lovely... You just go quite high up, actually. You get a bit of altitude going. Um, a lot of it are on carriageway roads. And there was just unbelievable traffic going through. All the Wrexham fans coming back. But it was brilliant. You know, you knew everybody was celebrating in every car. And then we got promoted at Northampton. Which I managed to get to despite being at work. Um, Northampton's a good, what, two and a half hours from Wrexham. I managed to get there in time. And I was in the away end. Uh, where Exxon scored both the goals, which secured promotion, and that was that was something else. That was yeah. You know, so just those experiences of away games can be can be amazing, you know. So I hope that it doesn't put them off. Bus tales northeast now. Please settle an argument. I say breakfast, dinner, tea. My wife says breakfast, lunch, dinner. Tell me she's wrong, please. Oh, I don't think I'm qualified to do that. I've always. I think said breakfast dinner tea but when I burped at the start of this I was very conscious once I said it that I'd said I've just had my dinner and it's the evening now you're asking the wrong person here I'm so sorry I, I can't resolve this marital difference I just hope that you can learn to live alongside your dispute sorry 
and spitball idea. I think this is the last one, but it's a beaut. The Spitfires, Eastley, is an excellent team name. What are some great ones with stories in English football? My home state, Indiana, has some great college team names. Uh, well, I'm going to be French and say Notre Dame, but you can say Notre Dame, Fighting Irish. The Purdue Boilermakers, the Indiana Hoosiers, and a great high school one. Oh, look at that, the Frankfurt Hot Dogs. And um, We talked about this a little bit last time, and I suppose we have to make a slight um, difference between team names and nicknames here, because the Spitfires is Eastley's nickname. Now, <coughs> British teams tend to be fairly prosaic. Town, United, uh, you know, Rovers, Rangers, Wanderers. You get the odd exception that we mentioned last week, Crew Victor Crew Alexander, Northwich Victoria, and also was it Roy Cuffin or Jeff Lang were one of the two guys who pointed out that I'd forgotten Hamilton Academicals, a Scottish team, Academicals, because they originally were formed uh, by students and staff of an academy, a school in Hamilton. Eastley, now nicknames tend to go more down the American route, so having a little bit of life to them. Um, so yeah, Eastley are the Spitfires, and the reason for that is that right next door to their ground is Southampton Airport, which used to be one of the airfields where the Spitfield fighter planes were based during the Second World War. So yeah, they, they, their badge is circular, <coughs> calling to mind the, the circular blue-white-red badge of the RAF on all the planes, and they, they use that sort of branding around the ground, and the Spitfire Grill, which sells the Spitfire Burger, has got like that, that insignia on it. Um, there's loads of nice nicknames then. You know what, when I saw it, the, the first thought I had, I know this is weird, was um, Wickham Wanderers are the chair... <laughs> I can't say it without laughing. I'm sorry. They're the chair boys because Wickham is known for furniture manufacturing. So not the choir boys, the chair boys. I rather like that. I don't know what a chair boy is, but it sounds interesting. Um, Wrexham traditionally were the Robins, by the way. And although you will find some people who are certain about why, I don't think that that is... Uh, Accurate. I don't think anyone's totally 100% sure. Some people think because of our red shirts, but we didn't always have red shirts. Um, in fact, one of our nicknames unofficially used to be the Sugar Bags because we wore a shirt of white and blue stripes, which apparently looked like bags of sugar that were sold in the 20s. Um, but more likely is because we were associated with Ted Robinson, who was a, a player and then club secretary running the club and we were seen as Robinson's team, but also that um, one of the main administrators of Welsh football was called Robbins, and he came from Wrexham. My mind's gone blank with his first name. Isn't that ridiculous? And he, <coughs> you know, so it could also be linked to that. Uh, funnily enough, his family home is right next to where my mum and dad lived and where I was brought up. Spooky fact. Um, so, yeah. Uh, our nickname, Robins, then turned into the, the Red Dragons. That's a long story for another day as well. Um, okay, other nicknames, like Man United being the Red Devils, for example, Arsenal being the Gunners, because they were initially based where there had been an Arsenal in Woolwich. Um, oh, gosh. Someone's colours of shirts, Norwich City, the Canaries, being bright yellow and bright green. Um, and, oh, gosh, some of those... 
there's lots of great nicknames. Why have I not sat down and thought beforehand? Oh, uh, Chesterfield's main feature is its church. Look it up, it's weird. has got a crooked spire, which I'm assuming is not deliberate. It's one of those um, sort of Middle Ages, medieval architectural things where they'd throw up a building and see if it stayed up. And it's sort of stayed up, but it's really twisted. And so Chesterfield are the spireites. Spireites? Um, York has got has a, has a beautiful, massive church, which is called York Minster. So they're the Minster men. Um, I'll have to have a think. There's loads more, aren't there? Um, Juventus are the old lady, because they're like the traditional team that always wins in Italy. Uh, oh, gosh. You know what? I should have, I should have thought about this. Oh, seaside teams, you know end up being called the Seagulls or the Shrimpers in South End's case. Southport's have a bit of a, a sort of mouthful. The Sand Grounders. Southport Beach is just, you have to go over miles to get to the sea. Um, <laughs> and then a lot just name themselves randomly. Cardiff, the Bluebirds. All right, Swansea City, the Swans. Go figure. Hull playing orange and black stripes. The Tigers. Um, oh, Lincoln has a massive beautiful cathedral which you can actually see from the ground it sort of dominates the whole area um and it's on top of a hill and it's quite a flat area you see it for miles around and famously there's a there's a little easter egg in there uh, there's a tiny little imp carved into the ceiling which has become like a, a symbol of lincoln it's a cheeky little thing and so lincoln are the imps scunthorpe united are the iron and West Ham are the irons because of iron manufacturing in that area. Uh, some quite dull, like the Reds, obviously. Um, Man City have, I don't think this is a long-term thing. I think it's a, something that's happened in the last 20-odd years. Are the citizens, because they're Man City, but citizens misspelled with a Y. No, not for me, not for me. Um... Lots of county magpies, so again, animals. Uh, oh, <laughs> Aston Villa, the villains. Yeah, fantastic. West Brom, West Bromwich Albion, have got one nickname, the Throstles, so a type of bird, and it's on their badge. But their other nickname is the Baggies, which apparently is because at half-time, all the money will have been collected from the turnstiles, and then... A group of men from the turnstiles would take it to the club safe, walking around the side of the pitch with big bulging bags of cash. So they were nicknamed the Baggies, apparently. So there's all sorts of strange ones. It's, it is fascinating. I'll, I'll, I'll probably think of some more uh, in a bit. What is it? What is the, the, oh my gosh. Is Calvin Beath. Is it official that they're called the Blue Brazil? There's, there's an element of irony, I think, about that. Um. They're up in Scotland. Oh, I'll need to think of more. It's not much fun, is it, really, watching some old bloke uh, trying to remember <laughs> football teams' nicknames. I'm sure it's all... Oh, Peterborough are the posh. <coughs> they used to have this cartoon figure of a posh man with a top hat and a monocle, uh, and that became synonymous with Peterborough. The posh. Peterborough had been there. It's a perfectly pleasant place. I wouldn't say it's particularly posh or not posh, to be perfectly honest with you. 
Um, Hereford are the Bulls. That's a very rural area. And for big games, Hereford, and I, I, I like this sort of local spice, Hereford, they bring on a bull and walk it around the pitch when they have a really big game. Look on YouTube, you'll see it. It's a strange sight, this huge beast walking around. Um, Shrewsbury are the Shrews. Well done for trying. Um, Chester, God knows what they are. Tesco, Tesco bags are they or something? I can't remember. Um, yeah. Halifax are the Shaymen, not Shaman. They're not. They don't. They don't make. They don't make you drink potions and then hallucinate in the jungle. In the jungle on the prairie. Um, it's because their ground is called the Shay. Oh, Lewis team that has been at our level but it's a small team down south of London has this beautiful ground called the Dripping Pan now that's what you should call a football ground isn't it the Dripping Pan isn't that fantastic what a Colchester I can't remember Car uh, Charlton Athletic in London are the Addicts not the Addicts the Addicts I can't remember why that was a useless thing to tell you Hmm. Port Vale, disappointingly, are the Valiants. Stoke City are the Potters, because that was a centre of world pottery industry, really, the, the area around Stoke uh, for a long, long time. I'm genuinely going to stop now, because I really am banging on and on and on now, and I think it's gone beyond the point where it could have been interesting. So anyway, that's me for the week. It's been lovely chatting to you. Keep those Ask Rexums coming again, and I'll keep trying to bore you by remembering club's nicknames Wolverhampton of the Wolves Coventry City of the Sky Blues so have a lovely time chaps Southampton of the Saints Portsmouth are the are Pompey I probably knew why once Bristol Rovers are the Pirates but they also have a, more, a modern nickname of the Gas Heads just because they nicknamed the Gas for, uh, yeah again can't remember the reason for that Bristol City are Robins Swindon are Robins Bristol City are Robins aren't they um, and Middlesbrough were the borough, but they now also called them the Smoggies because it's smoggy in Middlesbrough. It's a very big industrial town, and uh, people used to insultingly call them Smogheads. Sunderland, I will stop now, are the Mackhams because they had shipyards in Sunderland, and they used to say in their local accent, you... <laughs> We mack them, you tack them. Yeah? We make them, you take them. So the mackums. Right, I'm going. I am Mark Griffiths of the Red Dragons, and I'll see you soon. Don't forget, live game on Saturday. Get on Wrexham Player, sync it with the stream, and bingy bangy bongy. Use Ask Wrexham. This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team.